Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 32 for July 7th, 2020. Friends, I'm not a gamer. I'm finally going to talk about games on this show. It feels like a sort of a mountain I've been trying to climb because since I don't do games, I don't want to look stupid. But something has been happening recently that makes it important that we talk about gaming. There's a game called The Last of Us 2, which is both a big deal in the game world and a really big deal in the accessibility world. And so I wanted to talk to somebody who's actually playing this game, and that's what we're going to do today. My guest is Ricky Anger, well-known podcaster, and uh, she's also with the Hadley Institute, but I'm going to let Ricky tell you about herself. Hi, Ricky. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And uh, full disclosure, you're not a gamer, and uh, I'm kind of a baby gamer, a, a casual gamer, so <laughs> <laughs> I think it should you're work You're doing out pretty great. good, though. So, so well, it's, but see, we won't be a game snob. You'll be like all, oh, isn't this wonderful and great, and you won't be like, oh, I've played this so many times <laughs> Exactly. Before. So much for you newbies. Uh, I've done this all before, but no, I have not. So I'm really well. well excited. Other than uh, other than your novice game status or, or your new your semi noob <laughs> game status, tell us tell us about yourself. Yes, so um, I work with the Hadley Institute, where I do uh, training videos for common products uh, like email and browsers and uh, things like Microsoft Narrator. And so I do uh, training from an accessibility perspective for those who are blind or low vision. I also also uh, do podcasting, uh, both for my employer and I appear on random podcasts elsewhere as well. And uh, I also host a discussion group, a monthly discussion group on technology uh, with Hadley, where people who are either brand new to technology or just kind of learning the ins and outs about how to use technology accessibly can come and ask questions about that month's topic. Random podcasts are the best podcasts. Yes. I know from experience, and we've been on a few random ones at the same this time is true. together. <laughs> but but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about gaming. So, The Last of Us Two, as the name implies, is the sequel to a game that came out in 2013. And I think the excitement about it was that it has been so long since that game came out. So there was a lot of anticipation. A lot of people anticipated who were already locked in their houses, I suppose, imagined locking themselves in their houses for the weekend and playing this game anew. But then then, as the game's release came closer, there was another thread, which is just how much accessibility this game has for people with a variety of disabilities. So what I wanted to do was start out by talking about the game in general and then work our way toward the accessibility stuff, because a big part of this game is how different it is from other accessible games that are out there. So uh, The Last of Us 2 is a PlayStation game. And uh, Ricky, you in your household have probably more than one game console, more than one gamer for sure. Yes. But you, you had a PlayStation already. And so that's, I guess, how The Last of Us came into your life. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that, how you decided to play it, what what the game's about and, and what your sort of gaming uh, experience is like. Yeah. So uh, there are a number of different consoles in our house, uh, each of which has its own varying degrees of accessibility. Uh, Xbox is certainly the most accessible uh, game console. It takes a lot of its 
accessibility from features that were developed for uh, for Windows. So that works out very well. We have a switch, which um, certainly has no accessibility for uh, totally blind gamers. And then there's PlayStation, which is somewhere in the middle in that they have uh, added some accessibility features, but they... They disappear in the oddest and most frustrating places. And so while you can launch games accessibly, uh, you can explore the games that you do have and you can explore some settings. There are some things that uh, do still lack accessibility on the PlayStation. I was really happy, though, that I had one in the house because... I was very excited to hear about this sequel to a game that I'd never actually played or been able to play before. Uh, but I was excited because the game is a is a game that tells a story. And my previous gaming experience was uh, with fighting games like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, um, things that were based on the original Doom, uh, the old version of Quake. Uh, there were some mods made to that to make it accessible. So they were all uh, kind of shooting at things and not not as much story. The Last of Us 2 does tell a story. And it's the kind of game that I've always wanted to play something that has characters who do things and uh, a story unfolds as you go through the game. And depending on how you play it, you know, the story may play out differently. So given the fact that I did have a PlayStation already and didn't need to go rush out and buy one, uh, I wanted to dive into this this interesting game. Well, let's talk about The Last of Us. And I'll just tell you what I've read in a couple of reviews and conversations about this game. I don't think people have gone so far, well, maybe they have, have gone so far as to call it problematic, but it's certainly dark and dystopian and post-apocalyptic. And so there's actually been a fair bit of criticism of the game. And even people who haven't gone so far as to criticize it have said, maybe it's not a kind of a game that in this current environment I feel like playing. It's a little darker than... I expected, and I know you don't know whether it's darker than than the first game, but but tell something about the story and about the game and about its sort of uh, oeuvre, if you will. Yes. So this is set in a post-apocalyptic world, uh, the apocalypse being zombies or infected, as they're they're called in the game. And so uh, there aren't nearly as many humans as there once were, and uh, it's difficult to survive. There are you know, limited resources. And certainly uh, there are the zombies or infected, and you don't want to get killed by one of those, nor do you want to get bitten by one of those and become one yourself. So that's the very, very basic premise of the game as to not give any spoilers. And I think there's some truth in just how dark this game is. And this is coming from someone who I love to read horror. I love uh, a very well-told story where characters have to face some difficult moral choices or there's moral ambiguity involved or uh, that they're facing, you know, some major challenges that aren't warm and fuzzy. This game, definitely very, very few uh, fluffy kittens and rainbows in it. And it is an odd game to be 
playing right now with so much going on in the world. Uh, because I think one reason people play games is uh, is a form of escapism. So you want to disappear into a world uh, that you're not currently living in right now. Just not so much to uh, because you hate everything, but you just want a little different experience than than you're having with your own life. And uh, so disappearing into this fictional world that uh, is very, very dark um, doesn't feel like the healthiest of things at times if you're just hoping to let off a little steam. Does it feel escapist for you then? I mean, you're, you're going outside of a world where difficult things are going on into another one where very different difficult things are going on. Yeah. And, and it is in some ways escapist and in some ways um, there's a little frustration there. So the parts that I'm thoroughly enjoying about escaping into the game are learning the mechanics of it. So playing a game that tells a story, uh, which is something that I've never been able to really do before, certainly with a console game as a totally blind um, baby gamer. And so that part of it is very fascinating, very interesting, learning the mechanics, seeing what needs to happen to make the story progress, um, getting accustomed to what everything sounds like in this new world and enjoying the, the sound design and all of that. And at the same time, um, there's very little levity in this world. So it's um, visiting a dark place. So there's not so much relaxation with that. Uh, you're, you're visiting a world that is very difficult to survive in. And while that does hold some interest, I think there is less hope on the horizon than I might have been expected, uh, expecting when I, when I first started playing. So less a feeling that things are going to turn out okay. But then again, I'm about maybe 20% into the game. So maybe things get a little happier as, as we progress. Really? You think that's I possible? Kind I kind mean. of don't. <laughs> I'm looking for that hope somewhere. I mean, not to burst your bubble or anything, but so game mechanics are a big part of story games. I mean, I haven't played a lot of them myself, but I know that you're doing things like you know that you're moving through rooms or through spaces. You usually have to pick stuff up that helps you. You have to avoid things and people that want to kill you. You're, you know, hiding in buildings or jumping or were those structures and game mechanics familiar enough to you conceptually that you kind of got it? Or was there a big learning curve as far as that stuff went? There was a big learning curve for me. And I'm not sure how much of that is game design and how much of that is my lack of familiarity with playing this sort of game, plus just um, uh, some difficulty with spatial concepts that I have that some others may not. So um, from a game design perspective, there are there are audio cues giving information about the environment. So not only can you hear that you're walking past a stream, uh, you know that you're on a horse because you hear it galloping and things that you would normally expect uh, in a game with good sound design, but there are specific cues that make the game 
more accessible from a totally blind person's perspective in that uh, you are prompted to pick something up by the sound that it makes. You're prompted that a jump is coming up and that you need to uh, press the control to do that. So there's a sound for that, a sound to um, duck under something. And then, of course, the, uh, the enemies and the objects in the environment themselves make sounds. So I think that this was all very well thought out, but I did find that I tried to start the game and memorize everything and figure out what everything meant. What does the sound do? What does the setting do? And what tended to work better for me was just to jump in and start playing and learn a lot of it over time contextually. This episode of Parallel is brought to you by The Uptake, a new show from Microsoft about all things tech and community. Anybody who knows me or has ever seen my Overcast feed knows that I love to find new podcasts, and this is one I found recently that I've really been enjoying. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The Uptake covers topics in the world of tech, as well as how-tos on professional learning, development, and community building. Each episode features members of the tech community, The conversations are pretty fun, and each show includes a focused topic, guest interviews, local and global community news, plus updates on events, conferences, and more. And just so you have an idea of what to expect, I want to tell you about some of the topics of interest on previous episodes. They've talked about personal and career growth, along with imposter syndrome, and a topic they called less code, more power. So I listened to an episode recently called Accidentally in Tech, and as you can imagine, that's about uh, folks who have tech careers but didn't really expect that they would have those careers. And I thought, well, I'm going to hear some interesting stories about how somebody used to do this and now they're doing that. But actually, it was kind of an inspiring look at how to get your mind right for switching careers and switching jobs and how to deal with things like your own imposter syndrome or your lack of confidence in yourself and how to get some uh, guidance from people in your in your life and network. So it was actually a, a pretty ex- inspiring experience, and I would recommend that you check it out. Go and listen to it now. Just search for The Uptake wherever you get your podcast. That's Uptake, or just click on the link in the show notes and go check it out. Our thanks to The Uptake and Microsoft for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, let's pull back to getting the game up and running because not only for games, but for operating systems and for software, the ability to set stuff up independently is a really big deal for accessibility. So if you're installing your your Mac or Windows operating system or if you're configuring your phone, whether you can do that on your own is a big part of making that experience positive. So what's that experience like for The Last of Us 2? It was very, very well done, and I was... uh quite surprised and pleased by that because I was expecting there to be uh, some accessibility, but that the method of getting to that accessibility wasn't itself going to be uh, accessible. And turns out that's not the case. When the game launches, it immediately begins speaking. And I don't know this for sure, but it is perhaps because uh, the 
PlayStation's accessibility settings were enabled and perhaps the game examined those and said, oh, you're using text-to-speech and so we'll turn that on. It may also be that text-to-speech comes up for everyone and uh, those who don't need it can then turn it off. But having the accessibility come up immediately without having to search on the internet and read a manual or have someone else come in and assist with that was a very nice start. And uh, it it certainly gave me hope that uh, everything that came after was going to be equally as seamless. And did you go through and use the defaults or did you make any tweaks or did the setup give you any guidance as far as how you might want to customize your experience? So that's the great thing about this is that there was some guidance. And in fact, uh, Naughty Dog, the makers of this game, had designed some accessibility presets, some of which were for gamers uh, who needed some mobility assistance. Some were for low vision, some were for... uh, totally blind people needing text-to-speech and some for deaf gamers. And so um, there were well-thought-out, I think, presets that were there. And then within those presets or within the accessibility menu of the game, there are tons and tons of configurable options so that even if you do select a preset, you can then further modify that to fit your own preferences. I haven't done a lot of modification, so my initial thought was to start playing the game, um, have no idea what the game's going to be like, what even some of these controls mean, and what I'm going to have difficulty with and what, what might be just fine. So I started with the defaults and have since really left them alone now I know more what these presets do. Uh, it's been a personal choice to say, oh, yeah, no, I think I'll leave it at that default. But had I wanted to make things either easier or more difficult for myself, I could have done that. And that's one other thing that Naughty Dog has done. And it's not so much an accessibility thing, but it does bear mentioning because it's unusual. You can actually change the difficulty of your gameplay at any time, and then you can change it back. So if you're having a problem getting past a puzzle, or if you're having a problem getting past a battle, you can make things a little easier. And uh, then once you're past that, you can return to the mode that you were in before, which is really nice. I want to talk more about that in a second, because it does sort of bring up a philosophical conversation about gaming itself. But I want to just, for the benefit of folks who may not have been reading as many accessibility-related reviews of The Last of Us 2 as I have, point out that there are tons and tons of accessibility features in this game. The the words overwhelming have been used, not in terms of them being difficult to to manage, but just in terms of the number of accessibility features available. I've read reviews by people with low vision, so they're using high contrast, they're using large text, they're using uh, color schemes that apparently are really clever in terms of isolating your character versus enemy characters by either color or outline so that you can 
you know, th- there's a lot of busy stuff in the game that you can sort of darken, dim that you don't have to look at if it's if that's if it's difficult for you to sort of navigate the screen that way. For deaf gamers, there are not only many kinds of subtitle choices, but you can increase the type size of subtitles. You can have subtitles that point to the person on the screen that's speaking. There are stuff. There's a lot of stuff for uh, people with motor impairments. And that's a question I have is how well those work, because that seems like a, a function of the hardware to a great extent, too. But uh, everything I've read about the accessibility features indicates that they're, they're not only just a lot of them, but they're kind of an incredible, uh, rich tapestry of them, so much so that I, th- I think some of the people who were writing about it didn't know quite what to make of them. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. There is a dizzying array of... Um, of options that that can be tweaked and changed. And the one thing that I found interesting when looking around at this, and, you know, part of it may just be how new I am to this kind of game and and part of it not so much, uh, was that it was difficult to determine which settings were accessibility settings and which settings were really about adjusting the game mechanics in general. And I think it's also true that for those accessibility settings uh, that were set aside specifically or labeled as, you know, these are the accessibility settings, those things can make the gameplay um, either easier or more interesting or more enjoyable for everyone. It doesn't have to be that you use these settings because you need them. Sometimes it's really about making the gameplay more comfortable for you. And some of that just depends on why are you playing the game? Are you playing the game to learn what the story is? Are you playing the game to challenge yourself? And if you are playing the game to challenge yourself, is it, uh, do you want to be challenged in terms of figuring out the puzzle and, you know, figuring out the logistics of, uh, winning a battle or whatever, or do you want to be challenged in that, well, I can't really see this very well, but, you know, surely I can figure out a way to do it anyway. Yeah, and you talked about the features that let you basically dial down the difficulty or replay an action so that you're able to do it better, whether it be based on your accessibility needs or whether it's based on your inability to perform a function in the game. And I can see how some gamers who are very competitive, both with themselves and with the idea of leveling up and all the things that one does in a game, might have negative feelings about that and would certainly, you know, have be prideful about, oh, well, I would never need to do this. And I'm wondering, as somebody who's fairly new to gaming, is that just not even in your wheelhouse or do you try to do as difficult a task as you possibly can? And then have you had to fall back and make changes to accommodate your needs? So I did struggle with this. And I think it's a very interesting philosophical exploration because I'm not a gamer. You know, I am a noob. And yet I had taken in enough culturally, I guess, to be aware that, um, at times people will point at others who are doing something and if you beat the game on easy then you're not a real gamer uh, and you know you didn't try hard enough and oh you're not as into this as you could be and so some of that elitist 
thought, I was very aware of it and found myself doing similar things in that I haven't changed anything yet. uh, And I'm struggling with a portion of the game right now. And initially, it was a fun challenge. I thought, I should be able to uh, figure my way out of this. And this is a part of gameplay is is making you think and figure your way out of something and uh, improve on these logistical skills. And over time, it became uh, less of a fun challenge and more of just really a frustration. But I found myself not wanting to give in because a real gamer wouldn't do that. If I make it through this game, I want to say that I did it just like everyone else did. And that was a strange thought for me to have because ultimately I'm playing the game because I want to know how the story ends and I'm not really sure why it should matter um, how I get there. But you say that you... Uh, can go back and replace something. So theoretically, if you said, all right, I'll put this on easy for now or whatever that means, Mm -hmm. you could accomplish something and then you could go back and try it harder because it may not be something that's specifically impossible for you to do because you're blind. It may simply be that because you haven't played through it before, you're not familiar with what's going to happen. I mean, it could be either of those things or it could be something that is just literally really difficult to do either because you're blind or because of what you were saying about your spatial awareness issues, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, or, or, and Because and gamers, any gamer with typical vision might still have a hand-eye coordination issue that would prevent them from overcoming some obstacle. That's right. And so it's, it's an interesting attitude to explore within myself and to get past uh, because there's a part of me that says, well... I have to do it um, the prescribed way, but what if there really is no no one right way to do things? And I guess that's what every person who plays a game has to figure out. Why are you here? What are you getting out of it? And what does it mean if you do change things to make it either easier or harder for yourself? Um, You know, who are you proving something to? Is it something that um, you want for yourself or is it just an attitude that deserves exploring and perhaps doing away with? So how engaged are you with the story? I mean, is that what compels you forward or are you just, I can continue to play this and it's a fun game or is the story really the driving force and is there suspense that's leading you forward? There's definitely suspense that's leading me forward and I want to know how it all turns out. And even though uh, this is such a dark game and not necessarily as dark a game as I would like to be playing at this very moment in time, it's still the case that I want to be playing a story-driven game so much that that really is what drives me. Now, there, um, my my initial gameplay was a lot of wandering around and am I lost? Am I doing this right? Did I uh, miss picking up an item that I'm going to need later? Because, you know, that's a common game trope where uh, if you didn't get the key that was in the corner of the building in, in chapter one, you're going to need it later in chapter three and oh no. And over time, 
um, I both came, I both became familiar enough with the game mechanics uh, that that stopped being the case. And I also relaxed a lot and said, well, you know, if I miss something, I miss something. And uh, there's something to be said for replayability. So now it is very much the story driving me forward. I want to see what's happening next, um, interspersed with a little, oh, no, I'm lost from from time to time. (laughs) So talk about your game environment. You have a PlayStation. Are you playing it on a big TV, headphones, speakers? What's what's your what's your physical layout like? Yeah, so I am using headphones to play this. And uh, the the reason for that is I have a pretty nice sound bar that's got great stereo and uh, got the big TV and all of that, but the uh, the spatial information that is available in the game is so integral to how you play it, and uh, it's you know kind of fine grained that you want to know is that uh, like just a little to my right or really far over to my right or maybe slightly behind me, and those are the things that can be better taken in using a pair of headphones as opposed to listening to uh, something on big speakers. Now, you can have both speakers and headphones if maybe somebody's watching you play or whatever, because the TV's still on regardless. And I've had uh, the people in my household wander in, and um, my son's kind of fascinated by how I'm playing the game. And so he's watching what's happening on the screen, but he doesn't have the sound to go along with it. So it's kind of interesting that I have one piece of the puzzle and he's watching the other. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to be my next question about the people in your household who are both much more uh, gamers, as I understand. Have you uh, talked to them about the game? Do you want to not talk to them about the game? Are they looking forward to shoving you out of the chair so that they can play? (laughs) For me, um, Gameplay is a very solo experience because I want to be immersed in the world. And I also, I guess I'm still a little self-conscious about how long it takes me to figure something out. Um, you know, am I am I meeting these challenges as quickly as somebody who's more familiar with gaming? And again, that goes back to earlier, like, why should I care? So uh, for those reasons, I, I like to play the game by myself. I've tried to avoid reviews and spoilers and the other people in my house uh, really want to talk about it. Hey, I read this article. What do you think about the part where, and I'm like, wait, no, no, stop. Or they've read some critical reviews and they, they want to see if I feel similarly. And I'm uh, like, I want to stay away from those things until I've finished the game so that really I have uh, my own personal take on it. And then I can read other things and say, oh, yeah, I missed that or I didn't think about that. But they really want to talk about it with me and uh, they're impatient for me to finish so that they can say, I've had all these pent up questions for months now. Can we talk? So this is a real noob non-gamer question, but given that games are so story-based now and like movies, I mean, they have trailers, they have chapters, they have all those elements of stories. Do you and your family, or maybe maybe it's your family more than you since they game more than you, but do they talk about games the way they talk about movies or some other piece of entertainment? Yes, definitely. And uh, it can be talking about the story 
uh, that that happens in the game. Uh, they talk about game mechanics and, you know, really pick apart some of those things on games that they've played or games that they've seen others play. And that's another interesting thing about uh, gamers and something that I found really useful this time around is that not only will they talk about games as if they were movies, but of course they watch other people play games. And never was I so thankful that other people, you know, played games and streamed them as when I needed to catch up on The Last of Us before starting this new game so that I knew what the world was like. So, um, Gamer world is interesting in that people will watch others play or they will talk about, um, you know, again, story, game mechanics. What are these developers about to do? Oh, that seems familiar to uh, this other game that they made, you know, four years ago or whatever. And did you watch a full playthrough of The Last of Us? And did you feel like that was very helpful? It was very helpful. Um, there is a uh, the the person whose playthrough I watched is uh, Sir Lionheart, and I really love his his playthroughs uh, because he is playing through in sort of a naturally accessible way, and I don't know that he's ever even considered that blind people are watching uh, his playthroughs, but. He is automatically reading notes that you might find uh, or journal entries that you might find. So things that would be read with text to speech in the new game, he's doing that in his playthrough just as a part of it. And some some gamers don't do that. They assume, well, you were watching the playthrough. You saw my screen. You can read it just like I can. So it was nice to find somebody who did that accessibly without really trying. Yeah, the very few playthroughs I've watched have actually involved a lot of action on the screen and the gamers talking about other stuff and even <laughs> yeah. interacting with the chat <laughs> or whatever's going on. And these are people who are, you know, probably either making a living as Twitch gamers or they're, you know, they're doing this every day, right? Yes. So for them, just going through a game is is less about showing others how the game works and how how it plays than it is about, you know, being with their people, I suppose. Exactly. I'm I'm assuming from what you've said that you didn't watch any playthroughs of The Last of Us 2 or that you didn't, you, I mean, you purposely avoided reviews. So you wanted to come to it completely new. Is that right? Yes. I wanted to have the experience of figuring out the mechanics of the game as well as um, not being spoiled by uh, any story elements ahead of time. And you know, part of what fascinated me about playing the game was to figure out the mechanics and how they were able to do these things accessibly. And it's been really, really impressive. So in starting the game, um, I may have mentioned this before, there are a number of different audio cues that will prompt you as far as how to interact with your environment. And I initially thought, oh, I will memorize all of these things. And that was really ridiculous because there are a ton of them. And so as I was playing through and uh, just figuring things out in context, oh, yeah, that's what that means. That's what that does. That, um, even as much as the story itself, was a fun part that I was looking forward to when I realized that um, this was going to be an accessible 
game. And I came into it with, um, I guess I was cautiously optimistic, but I still felt like, oh, there are going to be parts of this where, uh, you know, I will need assistance to get past. They can't have made everything fully playable. And thus far, it feels like um, they they actually did a pretty bang up job. And apparently they had a lot of consultants who were people with disabilities and pe- specifically people who with, had blindness and low vision, because I've seen some chatter about that. And it seems like that really paid off. I think that's the smartest thing that Naughty Dog could have done. And for other games, and I hope there will be many, many others who want um, to move forward with this as well and make games fully playable by everyone. So I think Naughty Dog did the right thing in that they consulted and they did so very, very early. So the idea wasn't, hey, we we made this game and oh, look, um, you know what would be neat? Uh, we should try and make this accessible and then try and kind of bolt it on at the end. I think it was very well thought through and it was done so from the beginning and that allowed them to perhaps go back to the drawing board a couple of times as they consulted with other people who were going to be playing these games in real life. It was no longer something theoretical. They were they were consulting with people who had a vested interest in making it work. And um, I'm glad that they got that input. I guess that's the benefit of a story game or a game that is analogous to a movie, that you have a script and you have a set of, you, you have so many elements and so many uh, steps in putting the thing together it seems like it's almost more intuitive to include that process than it might even be with just a piece of software because there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And if you have people involved in all of those creative parts of the process that are potentially going to be your players, it's, it, seems, it just seems like that's even easier to explain to somebody who isn't thinking about accessibility than to say, oh, yeah, your, your Twitter client isn't accessible. Why don't you go back and make it that way? Yeah, exactly. Because then it's, well, what does that mean and what, what's right. broken? So what haven't we said about The Last of Us 2 that, that folks should know? Um, so I think overall, I would say um, if you don't currently own a PlayStation, you maybe don't want to rush out and buy one specifically for this game. But if you have one in your house already, it's really well worth playing. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I love the fact that your control over your gameplay is, um, you know, so, so varied. You can change so many different things either in terms of accessibility or just in terms of how the the game mechanics work. Uh, it's definitely not a happy game. One thing I wish had been done just a bit differently is that with uh, so many of the audio cues, they sound very, very similar. And so it took a lot of listening really closely to... Um, to each of these cues and determining, 
what the differences were between them and remembering what those things meant. So if there were anything from an accessibility standpoint that I would change, uh, that would be it. If there were anything from, I guess, a story perspective that I would change, um, there are moments that feel a little uncomfortable to play as uh, this teenage character and uh, she's doing things that, you know, I, as a, as, as the player kind of don't want to be involved in, like, I wish there were a different choice. Um, but that's the thing about gameplay is that not every game is going to be designed exactly the way you want. And not every character is going to progress through its development in exactly the way you want. I still think it's, um, it's very much worth playing and I'm enjoying it so far. I hope that I feel that it was worthwhile by the end of it, but I think I, I think I will. I mean, it sounds like as if you've gotten as far as you have, you've gotten enough joy and benefit from the experience, both of the story and the accessibility, that even if you don't finish, it will have been worthwhile. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's a really good point because sometimes life gets in the way or, you know, sometimes there's just too many other things going on and uh, maybe you can't finish a game. But the fact that a company didn't just pay lip service to this, uh, they took, you know, a good long time to really sit back and think about the story that they wanted to tell, they released this game. I think um, the story that they're telling is very intentional. This is the game they wanted to make. And so, you know, love it or hate it, um, here it is. And it just so happens to be, um, at least so far, to me and my specific needs, fully accessible. Well, now it's time for our patented one more thing question. And here's where I disclose that this is the second time we've recorded this podcast. <laughs> and the reason I need to disclose it is because the first time I asked Ricky this question, she wasn't ready for it. And now she is. So here's my question. If there was one specific game or category of game that you would like to wave your magic wand and make accessible and play for yourself, what would it be? So even though this is the second time we recorded this, I actually thought about my answer and uh, it, it hasn't changed much. I thought that, <laughs> hey, maybe if I thought about it and had a little more time, right. I would totally come up with something different. But no, I do feel uh, the same as I did initially, which was I have two categories of game that I would love to see. And the first one is not so much because I think I would be good at it, but just because I really want to see this kind of thing be made accessible. And uh, if I'm not good at it, I'd like the opportunity to get better. So games like um, Peggle or Tetris or things that you're matching shapes or colors and you're having to uh, figure out all of these patterns and make them work together and do things. I can't imagine how such a thing um, could be made playable by me specifically, but I dare someone to try. <laughs> so that's that's the first category. And the second one is um, I've watched my family play 
a number of JRPGs like Final Fantasy and uh, Persona. And so I would love to see a game like Persona 5 where you you do fight battles, uh, you know, turn-based combat, uh, but you also engage in um, kind of a, it's a, a social simulator and the choices that you make determine uh what happens to you and what happens with different characters and how much kindness and such you have. I'd love to be able to um, make those choices and play that game. Um, the people who play in my household kind of follow a fact and they're looking to play the game efficiently while still kind of getting the story. And I would love the opportunity to just go through and make the, the bad choices and some of the good choices and just see the kind of game that I would end up playing, um, you know, <laughs> how many times I'd have to start over again. Sure. Well, I answered this question before, and I will stick to my answer as well, that I want to just race cars. I just want to get in a car, probably with a steering wheel controller, and run down the track. I don't even want to race other drivers. I just want to drive and overcome obstacles and go fast and make noise. Uh, since we recorded the first, though, in addition, I, I played uh, You Don't Know Jack and various other of those oh, kinds yeah. of games. What's really a pain about those games is that most of them are accessible in that they have dialogue and that if you're able to select A, B, C, or D, you're good. And then you get to a last question where it's all visual and there are things floating around on the screen and you either have to match them or catch them or something like that. And I can't do that. What I realized that I want in my sort of puzzly, word gamey, trivia kind of thing, because trivia is my sweet spot, is I want a game that requires me to memorize a lot of things because I'm really good at that and I will, will mess with people's minds and memorize ridiculous amounts of stuff and then I will beat them and that's what I want. So they can <laughs> match the green to the green and the yellow to the yellow and I'll just memorize things. <laughs> <laughs> and impress people and freak them out. That's a laudable goal, I think. I, I like do that it. all the time. I, I freak, well, the, the freak them out part, yes. Maybe impress them, I don't know. But, you know, I, I trivia, is, trivia is my jam. I love trivia, so... Uh, Ricky Enger, it was so great to have you on this show to tell us all about The Last of Us 2 and to to get me, frankly, more interested in gaming than I might otherwise have been. I, my, my perspective on gaming is always that I don't have the patience for it. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like some of that has to do with accessibility and not wanting to struggle with that. So yes. to hear that there's a game out there that makes that not a problem makes me feel good. <laughs> Tell people where they can find you on the internets. Yes. Uh, so I can be found lurking on Twitter. Um, I'm at twitter.com slash Ricky, R-I-C-K-Y, underscore Inger. And uh, you can also find me uh, on, you can check out the uh, Hadley website where I host my podcast and discussion groups and workshops and such. So that's Hadley, H-A-D-L-E-Y, dot edu and you can send me an email there as well uh, that's inger e-n-g-e-r at hadley.edu and uh, who knows what random podcasts i may be on in the future so <laughs> <laughs> yes i look forward to that and perhaps we'll be on some of the same ones perhaps not but yes. in any case 
You can follow this podcast at Parallel Pods on Twitter. You can also go to relay.fm slash parallel and subscribe if for some reason you haven't done that. I'm proud to say this is the third episode for which we will have a written transcript. It doesn't always show up immediately with the podcast, but a couple days later, I managed to get it up. And I want to thank the people out there who pushed me to do that because... It's a lot of work, but it's definitely worth it. We'll be back in a week with a very special episode. That's right, one week, not two, with a very special episode. I kind of promised that we'd have a very special episode this week and didn't quite work out. But we've got our plans made, so watch for us next Tuesday. Bye for now.